Tuesday night, June 6th, 1944. My darling, today came the news we have all been waiting for for so long, and I guess things are really humming back in the States now. The news of the invasion was broadcast at 9.30 this morning. So I guess you caught it there at breakfast time for 9.30 a.m. here would be about 2.30 there. And now in the after-supper quiet, I know that many an engineer hit the sand today. I bow my head in a solemn prayer that they shall not have gone in vain and that we can chase the Jerry back to Berlin. Somehow I still envy the guys up there dishing it out. At least they're getting an early chance at the Germans. But we don't talk about that, for time is still elastic and can stretch even yet. Welcome to Forever. This podcast is part love letters, part conversation, and part deductive mystery. I'm Charlotte Purser. I'm Jens Rasmussen. I'm Tamala Woodard. Today, we have a special guest. I'm Catherine Evans, and I am the fourth child out of six of Mildred and Red, and I live now in Bristol, Virginia, after growing up in Baton Rouge. All right. So. That makes Catherine your? Aunt. She's my mom's sister. Amazing. So we'll ask you (laughs) all of the inside gossip. (laughs) Cool. Shall we jump in? Sure. Okay. Sure. We're going to read the first, um, the first two letters right now, and then we'll talk about them. A quick idea, Charlotte, yeah. when you're cutting this, I think you should cut them into, I think you can mm. just slice them. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Letter number 97. Kinder, Louisiana, June 6th, 1944. Tuesday night, June 6th, 1944. My darling, I love you. That is my foremost thought always. I've been rather negligent in my riding lately, for as you know, we went to Baton Rouge on Saturday. It was rather a hectic day. We got reservations at the Colonial Lodge out on Government Street. They were grand. Two rooms, one with two double beds and one with one double bed. A bath, fans, good ones. If we ever go back, let's us stay there. My darling... Today came the news we have all been waiting for for so long, and I guess things are really humming back in the States now. The news of the invasion was broadcast at 9.30 this morning, so I guess you caught it there at breakfast time for 9.30 a.m. here would be about 2.30 there. And now in the after-supper quiet, I know that many an engineer hit the sand today. I bow my head in a solemn prayer that they shall not have gone in vain, and that we can chase the Jerry back to Berlin. Somehow I still envy the guys up there dishing it out. At least they're getting an early chance at the Germans. But we don't talk about that, for time is still elastic and can stretch even yet. Golly, I just miss you so much. Lynette slept in one bed and me in the other. I surely did miss you, dear, so very, very much. You do not know how you penetrate my thoughts no matter where I try to guide them. And I always want to think of you. I love you very much and will for keeps. Gee, I only hope that the day of homecoming will hasten. 
for this soldier of yours knows he has more to come home to than any soldier, sailor, or marine. I guess I ought to tell you something that struck my heart a blow this morning. I went about 60 miles to see some British officer about something, and the address I had been given was next door to the address where they were located. Unknowingly, I walked up to the door of the residence and rang the bell, and the door was opened by what was undoubtedly the cutest child I think I have ever seen. I stayed with Mrs. McComb until 3 o'clock when we all went to a grand show, Lost Angel with Margaret O'Brien. I just cried and cried for I wanted her to be so high, and ours, with us as proud parents, proud of her pug nose and her red hair, her freckles, her feet, her winning ways. She was so shy and yet actually beautiful. She was about six years old and had the prettiest blue eyes and long curly brown hair. I had only a glimpse of her for she said real fast, no, I'm sorry, but he's not here. But in that short second, something caught inside me and told me that here was an image of you, darling. And here was so high, as sure as I was standing there living and breathing. Just like the most swell, elegant father in the world. Because you know she'll have the very best when she has you. I plan for her always. And when Sid asked me truthfully what I thought, I told her that we made a grave mistake when we waited. She seems to think she'll take my advice, her own thought. We'll have a beautiful and a lovely home, for homes are where the children are. I walked away, missing you terribly, envying two parents and cursing myself for not yielding to what we had thought had been better judgment. Of course it was better judgment, and I'll be all the happier for having waited. But I'll just bet you I'll be prouder than you of our children, so high, Junior and the twins. With all the love which is already ours, they will make our home the most wonderful home on earth. Right now, I wonder what would become of me if anything should happen. There would be just beautiful memories of the bestest marriage in the world. But we have every hope for the future. So, we'll be happy forever are forever. They and us, dearest, you and I. Golly, how I do love you. Oh boy, today brought two letters and good ones. One female written after 1 a.m. and one on our day, the 28th. Our day in two ways, Sunday and a year and a half of honest to goodness us. Gee whiz, I feel sorry for all the husbands in the world who have just ordinary wives. And I snap my buttons right off when I realize a hundred times a day how lucky I am to have the most wonderful wife in all the world. After the show, we dressed for the exercises. About 300 graduated in the Greek theater. And they were nothing extra, and I didn't see anyone you knew really well. I'm glad they were in the stadium, for they would have reminded me too much of the night. Sunday we went to Sunday school and church and then home, James. 
I was never so glad to head for home. I realized more and more that I did the right thing by not staying in Baton Rouge. I just couldn't stand to see our little things by my lonesome day after day. I miss you dreadfully right now, and it would be dreadfully lonely to have those constant reminders. One so faithful, clean, pure, sweet, adorable as you. Can't you see I'm awfully, terribly in love with you, Mildred, darling? We had a lovely time. Your dad bought a new tan suit and brown shoes. Until they started lecturing on smoking. Then out of a blue sky, your dad said, You're proud of Red because he doesn't smoke, aren't you? I didn't expect so direct a question. He must have hesitated a minute, for he added, Or does he? I couldn't say no, for Lynette knew, so I explained why you smoked a pipe and that it wasn't a habit, and lo and behold, he said, I understand, and don't blame him. He did, too, for I could tell by his voice. Then your mother told of your youthful escapades with a pipe. I suppose it is a good thing they know. Now we won't need to fear discovery. Are you peeved at me, darling? For I'm sorry. And I'll love you more each day and minute for forever. Yours, Red. Remember, dear, how much I love you. Forever and always, your wife, Mildred. To imagine it's the same exact day they were writing to each other. I know that's what's so crazy, right? That they were both writing these letters on the same day. Same day, but But it sounds like she doesn't know that the invasion had happened. Not yet, right? So she's just like it's a normal day. She's writing way early in the morning, maybe two thirty in the morning. So it would be on the news. It would be all over the news. Yeah, but would she have had the radio on? You know, she I mean, didn't have anything giving her notifications, like to turn on the radio. When did she listen to it? Probably in the late afternoons or you something don't think like that. Someone would have like first woke thing up and morning? turned it on. Like, well, yeah, because everybody knows that her husband's but, away. I just but wonder. she's also isn't she also know. writing letters sometimes in, in the middle of yeah. night? You know, like so maybe maybe this letter was actually written like at one a.m. on June sixth before. Right. I yeah. mean, you know, the next letter gives no indication that, I mean, the next letter we know that she didn't know, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe it's literally midnight. Maybe it was literally midnight or, or it one be, in the morning or something. I mean, but, we, we, we're so connected to everything. We can't imagine, like, if I got up in the middle of the night, I would look at my phone to see what time it was. Mm-hmm. And there would and be notifications. Yeah, there would be like a a text message from somebody saying like, did you know that this happened? Are you guys okay? Is is there any news? Right. But she wouldn't have had that. So she probably just woke up in the morning thinking like, okay, it's another day and probably wrote him. And then later in the day found out. That's amazing. And I think that's just such an, um, that's just a great point. It's like, right, we think news literally travels at the speed of light (laughs) now. And it traveled at the speed of like typing and transmission and and ships and ships. And right. And so, and the, you know, and they're in kinder and not in Baton Rouge at the moment. Yeah. Right. Because she's back in kinder. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she, maybe it, I mean, maybe it's technically June 6th. Maybe she had just, just, just gotten back yeah. Yeah. from her 
Catherine travels. I don't know. She also, mm-hmm. she may not still know exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if she knows. I guess she knows he's in England, but she doesn't know exactly when he's going across the channel or, you know, when it's all going to happen. Well, so he was in England for D-Day? He was in yes. England, yeah. Oh, man. Yes. So he, he could have been sent mm, onto the beaches? Uh, no, his, he no, was that not. Wasn't his job. I know he wasn't. Yeah. But. Um, I mean, I suppose technically he could have, but I think like the guys who were sent had already been in England for longer than he had been in England. And sure. he wasn't infantry, so he wouldn't yeah. have been the first one out anyway. No. Right? Okay. Um, but and His he, particular job as engineering was like what he did in the armed forces would necessitate him being later. His unit was part of the Third Army, which Patton was in charge of, and the plan all along was for them to go after D-Day, that the First Army would go over first and storm the beaches and secure everything that they could, and then the Third Army was to come over afterwards on D-Day plus 15 to 60 and capture whatever they needed to and then to go in and um, be support and added forces to the First Army. So my dad's job was to um, build bridges. And so he had been over there training and getting all his equipment and his stuff ready to go over after D-Day. And when you say D-Day plus 15 to 60, you mean D-Day plus 15 days after? Days yes. or weeks or? Days. Days. So he I looked was, it up and, and that's the way they, that the Army designated it. Wow. D was the day you it started and then whatever day after, um, it would be, you know, D-Day plus whatever. And so you can was, you can even describe the day before D Day as D Day minus one, and so knowing that, or or would would Red have known that he was about to be on the front line within fifteen or sixty days? Yes, okay. his was actually, I think, forty days. Great. So he's looking ahead. Like suddenly, suddenly, it, it's clear. Time. I love that this line that time, time is, is still elastic and can stretch. Time is still elastic and can stretch even yet. So it's yeah. a gorgeous line. Well, and this whole idea that keeps on coming up in the letters, which is, of course, what you do, like um, the idea that you hold on that it's all that it's going to be over soon, and yet you have to be prepared for it to not be over soon. And I feel you know they're they're constant. There's yeah. constantly this. Like maybe maybe it's the end is almost in sight. Hurry, yeah. wait, hurry, wait, yeah, yeah, hurry, yeah. hurry, wait. Well, because he he's he's concerned that he might not see any action. I mean, <laughs> not that he would see any combat action, but he. I mean, that's what he describes is that about being able to dish it out. Yeah, yeah. And I then, think that's a common common experience, right? Especially when you feel like you're. I mean, especially in a war that seemed and felt so just to. And he's been there since April. And we're um, now June. Yeah. So yeah. he's three months in. Yeah. Yeah. 
living under living under German bombardments, probably right. Uh, German German bombardments were happening. I think because I feel like they were in the north of England, weren't they? Not in London. They were definitely not in London because that's where the bombardments were happening. They were happening in in places with strategic importance. Right. So like Glasgow was big for shipbuilding. So Glasgow got like hammered. Right. You know, and London, obviously strategically important in that place got hammered. But I feel like where he was, I feel like it was like it was in the north of of Mm. England, not in Scotland, though. When they got there, they thought they were going to be in pup tents, but they found out that they had his group in a little village called Shinstone. And they let them stay in these abandoned cottages for their time there and Not he bad. spent his time I, I think he was pretty happy about that and um, a couple in the village loaned them a radio and so that's how he was on that day saying that they listened to the radio um, it was because the nice villagers loaned it to him what um, Catherine mm-hmm. I'm just curious like how did you how because uh, how you? How do you know all this information? How are you like gathering information and filling in details? One of the men in his company wrote a little short book about their experience, oh. and it's called "This Is It." Like, this is it. It's time to go, and it's it's hard to read because it's details about we moved these trucks and this many bridge parts to this place and that place but you can kind of put together um, some of these details and then um, so is it basically like writing from his journal he he, he kept a journal and yes that'd be fascinating to cross-reference with our letters we have it it's oh. it's in the dropbox oh. <laughs> it's been it's been in the dropbox for years oh, um yeah we do have it like every time i try and read it i get sort of stopped by it because it says like <laughs> so much detail. we marched and we marched and we so marched some more <laughs> i kind of took that and, and made a, a t- kind of a timeline of it uh trying to condense that into something that was a little more readable yeah. Nice. That's that that might cool. be worth publishing. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's, it's, we should also mention for listeners that you have read all of these letters. Right, Catherine? I've read almost all of them. Yeah. Just through the process of, of edit, editing them after you all do some of the typing. and. Um, so... Um, I have we have been process. yeah we've been working it's on a team, team effort <laughs> absolutely so anytime a, the letters have been um, transcribed we've been using voice typing and so we'll do the vo- we'll read them and do voice typing and then there'll be lots of errors but um, Catherine will go through and sort of sweep it clean up it and up. clean it and make it ex- more correct. Um, and uh, sometimes you put notes at the bottom, I think, but not, I don't think I included the notes. So now I'm going to talk, this is great, I love this great filling in, uh, <laughs> this historical, this is great filling in this historical data. I, I now want to just be nosy uh, a little <laughs> bit. And so, so did you, I mean, before you encountered these letters, did you know how, 
how much they dreamt of of children and like what the plan was and did anybody ever get called so high <laughs> in this <Yeah>. family <laughs> not that i know of but that would be charlotte's mother but um it you know we think of our um parents and grandparents as older people you know when as adults um my mother was 33 when she had me and and what number in the lineup are you i'm i'm the fourth of six of six so there was so high who is peggy Mm -hmm. junior is my brother bill and then um my brother jack was born in 1953 and I was born in 1955. So we weren't twins, but we were close enough. And we spent a lot of time uh, together and played outside together. And I tagged, he let me tag along with him and growing up together. And um, then they waited six years and had Jane. And they waited eight years and had the youngest, who's Virginia. Wow. Amazing. So that's great. I like to think I made the cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> the original four. <laughs> you did. You did. You were the original. That's for sure. But but no. To answer your question, I I really had no idea that um, that they talked about the kids and planned, you know, they their whole future, and then they made it happen. Um, but. You really? I, I never would. I never thought of them as being twenty years old and in love, and um, you know, learning how to cook, and um, him being such a young man leading two hundred twenty people into World War Two. Yeah. Um, how old was he in in this letter? How old do you think he was? In 1944. Well, uh, he w- his birthday was June 26th. He would have been 25 years old. Wow. I will tell you right now, there is no way I'd let a 25-year-old lead anything. <laughs> now, I, think, I think 25 is the new 15. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, right. Well, and, and he's already been doing it for, what, two years Wow! Yeah, amazing. It's twenty-three-year-old uh, as a you know heading up a, um, a battalion, right? And yeah, yeah. Just the idea and the idea of like training for two years to go. Had he had he ever been to Europe? Had he ever been overseas before? No, no. Mm-hmm. He was from a small town. Yeah, so they were from, both from very small towns, and education was their way out, and they. They took him. Uh, went to college and they worked their way through and had scholarships. And he was in ROTC for the four years he was in college. And he was the colonel of his ROTC engineering group um, when he graduated. And that was a big honor. Mm. And he went to uh, maneuvers the summer after his junior year. So I think that probably counted as boot camp. Mm. So he graduated in May of 42 and went straight in in uh, early June. Wow, so he's o- he's only 2 years in this man's army. Mhm. At this point. Um we're going to I think we should probably like scoot on over to the next letters. Okay. However, I do want to point out two cultural references. Yes. Right. So there's our little movie star. 
Yes. Margaret Mitchell. Margaret O'Brien. Margaret O'Brien. Margaret Mitchell wrote Gone with yes. the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> Who actually was like quite a famous um, child actress. Really? Yeah. Tell us about yeah. Margaret Well, I mean, O'Brien. I don't, you know, that, that most of her career was as a child actress, I think. I mean, oh. you know, she had a career all the way until, you know, but that she was a well-beloved. We just think of that one little... Uh, Redhead that <laughs> there were other child stars <laughs> that were that were well loved, and then uh, Home James. I think you know what that is, yes, right? What is I that? I do. Yeah. So Home James is a uh, is a is a cultural reference that came from. Uh, well, it says here on Urban Dictionary that it was a movie cliche. The original saying to a coach driver was. Home, James, and, and don't, don't spare, spare the, the horses. horses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there is even a song by Fred Hillebrand from 1934, which would likely be a song that, that Mildred might have known, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. She would have been a song from her teenage, teenage years or adolescent years. Wow. And then home, James. I never was so glad to get home. She said, "Yeah, yeah, that's great. I love that. I think I might like take that up." Yeah, If I got into my Uber, <laughs> and my lift, I'd be like, "Home, James, and don't spare the horses." <laughs> might raise some eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's uh, let's uh, especially let's make it cool James. again. I think I think it is home cool. James. I don't think we have to do much to make it cool again. It's okay. Yeah, I have to say the thing that's most um, intriguing about the letter is that there's a that they were thinking the very same thing at the same time and that this yearning for something concrete about their future was so present concrete equaling you know children something that yeah. if if either one of them doesn't make it through this life that there's something that's both of them yeah. and that was it's just so it's like it's like al- alchemy it's like magic yeah it's through all the letters that just like the way they cling to each other and, and like through the idea of their of their forever, their future, their children, it's so beautiful. It's almost as if they're willing it Into, to come true yeah. through yeah, the act of it. writing the letter. Like you said, like alchemy, like magic, like yeah. just a sheer force of will will bring him home. Yeah, keep your eye on the prize, Catherine. I have a pronunciation question because I'm from the South, and uh, I wonder how, how do you say this word? Um, a D D R E S S. I say address. Okay. What, what? do you say, Tamela? I'm from Texas. You say address. Address. Yeah. Address. <laughs> address. I think that's probably what I say. Yeah. But like address to me, address is like you address a crowd of people. It's like a it's like a verb, right? And and you live in an address. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you say? What did you say? Was Mine? It, yeah. When I said it? Yeah. I probably said He said address. Did well, you? he yeah. can't help it. He's from He's Wisconsin. He's from the north. Thank <laughs> 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 It just, I could, like, I, all I knew was that it's, like, sounded weird to me, but I was like, I wonder if this is, like, one of those things that's about, like, living, growing up in the north versus growing up in the south, so. How do you say, like, here we go. How, do you, how do you say this word, P-E-C-A-N? That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> P-E-C what? It's P-E- pecan. It's oh, pecan. Yeah, I can't. Well, First how all, do you say spell, it? So. Oh, I've been I've spent time in Georgia, so it's pecan. 
Oh, or pecan. Oh, pecan no, no. I, I hate pecan. it. Too. I hate that, pecan. too. I like pecan. pecan. I like that, too. Pecan, it's pecan When I was a kid, we had a pecan tree in our front yard in Tyler, Texas. Mm. And we had so many pecans all the time. And... Recently, I went to the grocery store and I saw them, and they were like, it was like a little box for seven bucks. And I was like, no, they should be free. <laughs> yeah, well, they're free when you want to crack them yourself. That's for sure. Yes, they're free when they're in your front yard. <laughs> Let's take a look at June 7th, Sally. All right. Mildred knows something more. Ninety-nine. Kinder. Louisiana, June 7th, 1944. Darling. June 6th was much more than the invasion date for me. Naturally, I rejoiced in my heart that the day of our reunion was hastened by the blow that was struck. I know the battle lies long and hard ahead of you. But I know you have the strength and the courage to face whatever lies in store for you. Darling, if it should be death, surely we'll be united again in a forever and eternity in heaven. If it is a victorious ending to this phase of our separation, the day of your return will be by far the happiest day of my life. I try to visualize our meeting, but each time I see you as you waved going into the officer's quarters. But it will be a glad day, for I can feel you close, holding my head tight against the shoulder as you have done so often when I caught cold or had runny eyes. We will be so very happy. Besides the invasion, though, today broke the long silence from England. Mail began to come on the late afternoon train. Only five of us had letters, but I had two wonderful ones. One was the long one that people call my magazine. The other, the letter containing the insurance policy and the poem. That was a beautiful poem, and I shall treasure it among my choicest things. You write the grandest letters ever, and these past twelve days have been agony, not knowing, only suspecting, not knowing. They had prayer services at five, three, and eight, besides the worship services at Bible school. You would have been proud of me had you seen how proudly I held my chin up. Others around me let theirs drop, but I thought of how you would say, Where's your chin? And I held mine high. A few wet ones slid off my pug nose, but they went unnoticed beside the open weeping of the others. People said I was the bravest person they had ever seen, but they just don't know from whence my strength came. I called upon God to help us, not just me, but us. I drew strength from him and from you. Together, you held the pieces of a heart that almost broke. One will never know how nearly my defenses came to crumbling. But I am proud that I can tell you, I held my chin up. I found a four-leaf clover early this morning, and am sending it to you for luck. It will be with you, and God will provide. Keep your faith in Him, home, and in me. We will never fail you, for we love you very, very much. Forever and ever, Mildred. 54, Wednesday night, 7th of June, 1944. 
Mildred Darling, as one Canadian soldier said, so this the place there'll always be one of. Golly, I miss you, darling, something awful, and love you so garsh awful much. The little radio the lady loaned me has been a godsend yesterday and today, and we have been listening to broadcasts about the invasion. I'm quite sure you are hearing a lot more there, though, because the American announcers always did have such a line and could talk an hour on one short headline. Today I did more roaming in a jeep and didn't get back till six o'clock, and tonight I really feel all pooped and stuff, and I'm going to bed to get away from it all. But heck, that really doesn't get me away from it all. For the minute I hit the bed, my thoughts always turn to memories of how wonderful it used to be to have your head on my shoulder and how you would always hide your nose on my neck and sleep so close. You just have no idea how wonderful it will be when that happens again. And today, the mailman forgot I was here, or something, and he didn't do a thing for me. But somehow that doesn't keep the gold frame picture at my elbow from smiling with the brightest sparkle in the world. And it doesn't keep me from reading yesterday's good ones. There did come a second notice on the car insurance, and I just tore it up and forgot about it. You know, some of these fellows tickle me. Or maybe it's vice versa. Moore asked Aikens and me tonight how many children we wanted. Aikens said, well, I want two. Heck, I made no bones about it. I just said, I'm going to have four. And they asked me how I knew. And I said, that was already decided. Of course, I didn't tell them their names. For only us know they will be so high, Junior and the twins. But at least I have enough confidence in forever to plan on them, to be proud to plan on them. Don't you, dearest? Gee, they'll make our home complete and will add even more to a love that is already full to overflowing. And you know, I'll bet they'll realize from the very start that Mommy is the very bestest, sweetest one in all the world. For darling, you do play the part of the perfect wife so well. And I thank my lucky stars that I'm the guy who is so inefficiently playing the part opposite you. I sent Pikarski away to school for a couple of weeks, and he's already called back for me to send his coveralls and gloves. I guess they're really putting him through. Moore went into an officer's dance last night and tried his best to get me to go with him, since I'm the only other one who has expressed a like for dancing since Pikarski is gone. But I said strictly nothing doing, for dancing holds nothing for me unless it is with one and only one partner and in a shaded corner. The one partner is you, dear, and will be just as long as you will be it. How stupid of him. Doesn't he know that I have the sweetest, bestest wife there is? And I love you so much, darling. Always yours. Red. Oh, man. These letters are killer. Oh, my gosh. They're killer. so romantical. I know. Catherine, is it surprising? I mean, you grew up and became conscious of your, you know, your parents were simply your parents. You know, they weren't like people people. (laughs) (laughs) Not like everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, does it surprise you that they were so, so like expressive about their love? Was this level of expression present, you know, by the time you were able to take notice? 
or did they, you know, it's just like what happens in a household, you just get busy cooking and cleaning and washing and being a leader in the, you know, and working and working yeah. and yeah. He built his career and she raised the kids and then she worked for him also um, as his secretary. So they spent a lot of time together and there's no doubt that they loved each other um, all the way. And mm. that humor that you, you notice every now and then, that dry humor, he would, uh, like at Christmas time, he would write her these poems that were... Um, more like limericks and funny, <laughs> funny jokes and poems at Christmas time, and mm. um, he was known for that. He would give speeches at Kiwanis Club or things like that, and he would always tell a lot of jokes, but not usually dirty jokes. But <laughs> today we would call them dad jokes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he um, was very funny. So was she, though. Yes. And when when did these letters come to your attention? Was it before before they were gone, or or did you get to? Well, I knew I knew they were there, and she kept them very close, especially after he passed away. She would keep them under her bed or mm. in a little box, and she would bring them out and read them over and over again mm. after he was gone, and um, she his army group would have reunions and she would uh, take out some that she thought were special and would uh, be meaningful to those men. And she would take those with her in a notebook to the, because she kept going to the army reunions mm-hmm. after he passed away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she kept them. Uh, they just weren't, weren't organized that by the time we saw them, they were all mixed up and, um, we tried to save them all, but I don't think we uh, got all of them. But there sure are a lot of them. <laughs> there are sure are a lot of them. <laughs> once, once a day for him and twice a day for her, that's a lot of letters. Wow, that was the that was the goal that was set forward. Interesting. Yeah, that's what they said that they would do. And sometimes she wrote him four times a day. Crazy. Amazing. Yeah, I think the thing that strikes me about her letter on June 7th is that when she says they had prayer services at 5, 3, and 8 besides the worship services at Bible school, that tells me that like the whole community was so distraught that what? they needed to add the, the prayer services. I remember um, I'm like the, the only closest, the only experience I've had that is similar in any way was here in New York City on... And around 9-11, Jens is nodding his I head. I had the exact same experience, yeah. and I was in Georgia. Yeah. And the, all the church, no, where was I? I was in Virginia, and the churches, Stay the churches up. opened, well, all opened up, and people just, they just people went. just showed up. Yeah. And even I, as a non, as a non, uh, non-churchgoer, just, just went to a church. Yeah. Just to be around people. Yeah. I imagine that they sat, they all sat together with people just absolutely weeping. And I wonder what those people knew about where their child was yeah. or nephew or whoever. But it just it struck me that that's what people do in times of like major, major crisis, I think. In addition to, you know, 
action, going into action, joining the military or, or you know, planting a garden or something like that, a, v- a victory garden. Hmm. Um, but I think, like, at first, when you get, it's like a palpable, touchable emotion yeah. across a vast amount of people, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And people didn't know what happened to their son or their husband. For instance, on D-Day, my father had a cousin from North Louisiana that was a paratrooper Mm. that died in that first wave. But he didn't know it at the time. It was his father's youngest sister's son, only son. Mm. And um, so, you know, at this point, the family doesn't know that. Right. I know that now. We know how the story ends, but they don't know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And at that point, they didn't know if they were going to win the war. They didn't know anything. It must have been horrifying to just be stuck at home with the only thing you can do being prayers. Well, and this whole thing that I, I I didn't know previously from any stories about World War II, but totally makes sense that the government or, you know our, all, all the mail was held back right so that no leaks could happen so everybody is suspecting feeling like something big is going to happen but just waiting 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 yeah yeah that's what she said yeah 12 days no letters and that was not because he didn't write no yeah yeah right Gosh, even that, I mean, looking back, you know that's a clue that something's in the, something's in the, in works. the works. Yeah. Yeah. And then Michael was, I mean, because I'm also, you know, old, um, <laughs> <laughs> was a submarine officer in, on a submarine. And um, yeah, when they had... Michael, yeah, your partner. Michael's my partner, yeah. <laughs> Michael's my husband. And uh, we were uh, not married. Were we? No, we weren't married then. But yeah, he would. Uh, the transmissions would, would stop when they were about to go do a maneuver or something. Like, they'd stop a few. He'd just not have access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine at this point, if she hadn't been listening to the radio all the time, on June 6th, by June 7th, she's probably definitely listening to the radio all the time. I even read some things about it. Uh, I think that Red even talks about how the radio announcers can go on and on and on about one headline for half an hour. And 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 how nothing's changed. <laughs> it doesn't sound <laughs> very familiar. Like one tiny bit of information. They were like, you'll just make an entire thesis an entire out of it. Show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole thing. Exactly. Did um, Red ever talk to you? You know, did Red ever tell stories about the war or talk to you all, his children, about what happened? Were you able to engage him? Uh, you know, not in a public space? I really don't remember talking to him very much about it. Um, I didn't really understand what it was he did. Mm. I knew that they built pontoon bridges, but I didn't really know what that involved. And um, it involved taking, they had all kinds of heavy equipment, like dump trucks and transport trucks. And um, so they had to take all their equipment over and train their men to um, 
their mission was to rebuild the bridges when the enemy blew them up, rebuild the bridges so that our troops and their vehicles could cross the rivers when they needed to. Mm -hmm. And so it was all that logistics of making that happen, go build a bridge, then take it down, go to another place. They'd also take the bridge down so the bridge couldn't, so they'd build the bridge so that the army could cross. And then they were also in charge of dismantling a bridge so that the enemy could They could take it somewhere else. Oh, these are... These are not permanent structures. No, they're they're um, temporary, and they were they were either floating or they had pieces and parts that they would put together just long enough to get everybody over and then um, take it all take, back up, take again. them back down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I don't think I realized that they took them down. How did the? Although it totally makes sense. How did the supply chain behind them stay open? Or well, were, 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 were supplies airdropped? To they, would have, they would ha- have a depot, and they would, ha- they would take their trucks, pick up what they needed, go deliver it, um, and then they might have to make several trips back to that depot mm. or um, then take stuff to someone else. Um, Fascinating. You know, it, it's always amazed me that we were able to accomplish what we did in World War II with yeah. the amount of planning and preparation um, the logistics, that this all yeah. took. We think it just happened, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it just... Red had been doing maneuvers in Texas for around two years before he even went to New York City and before he took the boat to England. So they definitely were planning and, and practicing these bridge moves for not just a couple weeks, like just <laughs> that was a a, quite months. a long time. And I wonder where Pikarski is. So Pikarski got sent to school. What kind of school did he get sent to? <laughs> hmm, is <laughs> it a reprimand school, or he was yeah. gathering a, a special, uh, an, a special um, um, tool that he needed, or a special learning something? Well, there. I think that some of them had to go to camouflage school to figure out how to cover their equipment and paint their equipment to um, keep the enemy from seeing it from overhead. Yep. So it could have been something like that. That, that makes sense. Enemy too. Hmm. Hmm. And did you ever, What are these relationships, these people that um, Red talks about, have you met any of, did you meet any of these men? I have not met them. I just, um, there's a list of the people in the unit, and I've looked at that, but um, I never went to any of the reunions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I wish I had. So in the first letter that we read today that um, Mildred talks about Sid and Mrs. McComb, can you let us know who these people are? Well, Sid is the wife of one of their good friends that um, was they were in the Army with. And I don't think he was actually in Daddy's unit, but um, they would have been at the same Army base at least for a while because they got to be good friends and stayed friends um, the rest of their lives. They uh, moved to 
Kingsport, Tennessee, which was close to me. So my mom would visit them when she came up to um, to visit me. And um, obviously they were talking about having kids and mom envies the people who went ahead and had them before the war started. But I think they did just fine by waiting. <laughs> they did. They got all four. They got all four plus two surprises. <laughs> And then Mrs. McComb was a uh, a friend, a longtime friend. She was older than mom by about uh, 14 or 15 years. So I think mom probably looked to her um, sort of as a mentor and friend. And she would go back to visit her and stay with her. Um, and her husband passed away in the 70s and she... Uh, I think she lived to be 80 something and oh. passed away in 1995. So um, that's I have a, I think I have a picture of her. Um, oh, I love of that. Sid? I see that. Of Sid? Mc- of, of Mrs. McComb. Of Mrs. McComb. Yeah. I probably have a picture of Sid somewhere too. Oh, well, send every- them. <laughs> yeah, send those to us, please. Uh, evidently, I think she was a lot of fun to be around. Sounds like it. From from their other letters about staying with Mrs. McComb. So what Catherine, is this section? Oh. Oh, this is of this section about Dad asking about smoking. <laughs> <laughs> what what what's? Uh, no, nah, I like well, that one too. <laughs> there's another letter that was like a few days prior to this one where Red's parents were talking about drinking as well, and how they decided that anybody who had one drink would be drunk. <laughs> and she says, like, you know, I know that to not be the case, but I didn't say anything. You know, so I his parents, I'm I'm getting the picture that they were very clean living, we'll say. Hmm. His parents. Uh. And so the idea that they would bring up smoking uh, it would have been a big a big deal for him to be you know, a confirmed smoker, such a modern thing to do and not be the clean living Baptist child that they raised him to be. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the letter from, I don't know if it might have been the first episode where he, he's like, don't worry, it's just a hobby, it's not a habit, or yeah. it's just a pastime, not a... Yeah, it was a pastime he had until he was <laughs> 70-something. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine, were there any, any things uh, in the letters that you heard today that 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 were like jumped out new for you like i said earlier about how much in love they were and how much they supported each other and you know tried to um keep each other's spirits up yeah and um reminding each other of these nice things that they did together you know they walked along the lake at lsu and they um would walk to, um, you know, different places that meant to them so much so that she didn't want to go back there. You know, she debated whether she wanted to move back to Kinder or maybe she wanted to get her job in Baton Rouge. But she thinks that everywhere she goes in Baton Rouge, she would be reminded of all the things they did together. Yeah, she um, says, I couldn't stand to see our little things mm-hmm. by my lonesome day after day. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and another thing that's 
not on that subject, but it would have been probably a big deal for them to all go to Baton Rouge and stay in a hotel mm. um, for Fin- his parents. Financially? And or Financially. Yeah. And um, that was, uh, Lynette was his younger sister, um, and I think that was her graduation from LSU. Oh. She was only a year and a half younger than mom, but... Um, in my mind, she was much younger than them, but uh, now I see that that they're close in age. But and it might have been a big deal for she. She brings up that he bought a new suit and shoes. So they this, really went all out for this big occasion. For this occasion, so, yes, they they went all out and um, and three hundred um, graduated at, at this occasion. Right. So how many and, would have normally graduated? <laughs> Well, probably more, um, but it was also smaller than than it is now. Yeah, you know, L- it, LSU probably has twenty five thousand or more yeah. now. I, I don't know. It would have been much smaller then. Wow. Right, right. And then a lot of people would have already been gone um, to the war. So right. amazing, right? Well, this has been. Fantastic. Yeah. Catherine, you have to come back and join us. Come back again. Anytime. (laughs) You know all the secrets. (laughs) One of the things that the reason that this podcast exists, at least what I'm most fascinated about, is that we really have lost the exercise of letter writing. And and that one of the things that this illustrates so clearly is the space between, um, you know, contact and how people are trying to like, overcome that space of time and place um, because we have such immediate like uh, response with our text messages and our even our emails even if I wait a day and a half or two days or in this case a week <laughs> um, <laughs> to <laughs> reply it's still it's still not the waiting is 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 waiting because I haven't actually replied not a where it's somewhere on a ship or on a airplane that could never make it you know like we don't think our emails or our texts won't make it but these letters it's possible that they might not have made it across and so you also have that agony of thinking that you might have missed something or that the last one is the one you're holding and i i I can i can never get that out of my mind no and despite that and and despite that we've already talked about it once but you know despite that distance that delay that that they were still thinking the exact, you know, still thinking same about thing. the same things yeah. on the same day, that sort of magical connection between two people who are so connected and in love. It's it, it happens all the time in their letters as well. Yeah. Like it, that kind of serendipity thing happens. All, synchronicity, thank you, happens all the time for yeah. them. Magic. Magic. Well, yeah. we should we should probably uh, sign off. Say goodbye. Well, <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much. Well, um, I didn't even get to uh, all of my notes that I. What wrote are you? What are your notes? <laughs> Wait, we've we've got you know because we because uh, Charlotte is the massive job of editing, and so <laughs> yeah. you know with with say three minutes left on the clock, what are the things you want to make sure not to leave us with? Not to without. Leave, us leave us without. Leave us without. Yeah, row row. <laughs> <laughs> part of understanding who 
our parents are, who anyone is, is to understand their background and where they came from and where their parents came from. I don't, um, I'm not active on Facebook, but I use Ancestry.com like other people use Facebook. I mean, I can get on it for <laughs> right. hours and you click on one thing and it leads to another, to another, to another. And there are things in common in both of these families. Um, mm. My, um, Charlotte, have you talked about mom and her father? I have not. Um, yeah, you can definitely talk about that. Um, I don't know if I can do it in three minutes. But, um. Well, you have more than three minutes. We just, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 yeah, we'll cut you off if, if we, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't worry. Both, both of my parents were from small towns. Um, their fathers, uh, my mother's father worked for the railroad, and they rented a company house. Um, my father's father was a... Um, shipping clerk for the lumber company and that was the reason for their town even being there was the lumber company and they rented a company house um my mother's father was murdered on the front sidewalk of their house one day when she was 13 years old and she saw it she was not supposed to be she loved to read and she was not supposed to be reading so she was hiding to read her book and and she saw this happen and so that changed the the whole structure of their family um she had to go to work her brother went to work her mother went to work um and so that made her driven to go on to get her education to move on um, and she was so young. She was 16 when she went to college. She was 20 years old when she graduated and, and got married. Um, so there's there's all these things in our background that we might not even be aware of. And, and you find these things out, and then you're like, oh, that's why they're, they were the way they were. You know, they, yeah. Both my grandmothers had parents who died when, when my grandmothers were young. And that's got to affect you, you know, the rest of your life. And I don't know how to express it anymore. You have to yeah, edit that. That's, out. <laughs> that's great. Now I think Charlotte, you You're did share good. the story about. Uh, I must have shared it in a rehearsal yeah. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I remember. I do remember that now. Yeah, um, incredible. Because she had been. Her mother would get really mad at her for staying up reading, and. She would sit in her window and read by the moonlight. Mm-hmm. And from what my mom told me, that's where she was when she saw her father coming home. And then the man, I think, shot him, right? Right. <clears throat> was, was he ever caught? Was yeah, it? he was caught and he went to prison. Oh. No, no. No? No, he went. I, I need to send you the newspaper clippings about it because a cousin sent those to me. But yes. um, he went home and he shot himself. <sighs> and oh. he ended up in the hospital, and I don't know the rest of the story on that. Um, the newspaper said they weren't going to press charges till they found out what happened to him in the hospital. But it was, um, he tried to tell my grandfather to pull a gun because I'm going to shoot you. And he put up his hands and he said, I don't have a gun. And he shot him anyway. 
um, he had been feuding with my grandfather about something and uh, had been threatening to kill him. He decided to do it that day. Oh, my gosh. Do you know what the feud was over? I don't know exactly. Crazy. My mom said that it had something to do with the railroad. Like, he wanted your granddad's job. Well, that could be. And and because he was killed, they had to move out of their company house. And oh, God, yeah. She was... Um, she was able to buy a house, and I have a teeny tiny newspaper clipping that made the local news that Mrs. Wallace bought Mrs. So-and-so's house because she's moving somewhere else, and that would be the house that they spent the rest of their childhood in, and the house I knew when I knew my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So she was widowed very early. Orphaned. She was, I think, 35 years old. Gra- grandmother. And she oh, had, grandmother, yes. She had a, a th- 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 9- and a 3-year-old. Wow. Wow. And I can't imagine not so, easy for so, a, a woman to make a living to support a family. So everybody went to work. And it was 1935, so oh, you got man. the depression going on. Yeah. Everybody, you know made it through the depression in their own ways. Um, it was hard on everybody. Amazing. Indeed. For sure. I remember when when Granddad was still alive, he sent my mom a picture of himself sitting on a fence with some other kids, might have been his brothers or sisters, with no shoes on. And he sent an article that had been in the newspaper about modern children who are so poor that they don't have shoes. And had a picture of those kids sitting on a fence or something with no shoes on. It was amazing how similar the pictures were Mm -hmm. and how much poverty had not Not actually changed. changed. Yeah. Well, I I was curious about that, so I went back to the um, census and to see what he did for a living, his, his father. And he did have a little farm. So when they were... Small children, they would have lived on that farm, running around with no shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) And probably when the lumber mill, um, when he was able to get a job there, that was probably, you know, a good thing. He could have a steady job and rent the company house. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Calvin, you have to come back and join us because I think (laughs) you have, like, things written in your notes that we want to hear yes yeah this is in so enriching and really fascinating to have you with us well, thank, thank you. you thank you thank you for joining us so now it's time for us to sign off forever yours i'm tamala i'm Jens. i'm charlotte forever the podcast was produced at brick arts media in brooklyn new york city 